Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Do I ever have a treat for you today? So many of you reach out to me and say things like, Jamie, you tell me that I can live a great life amongst the extra stress that we have to deal with, but you do not know the crap that we have going on. Or you say things like, I wish I could just let things roll off my back, but I can't. Or how do I prevent the struggles that we're going through from consuming my life and my thoughts? I want to be happy, but we're dealing with so much right now. And I get it, guys. I have been there. But today, I have Jillian Mandich on the show, and she is a happiness expert. And honestly, she knows her stuff. She has a PhD. Yeah, a PhD. She is a doctor from Western University in Health Sciences, and her primary areas of research are happiness and health. She is the founder of the International Happiness Institute of Health Science Research, a top-rated keynote and TEDx speaker. She appears regularly as the resident happiness expert on the social and breakfast television. And guys, her articles are pretty much published. Well, they're, they're published everywhere. So in this episode, we are going to dive into exactly how to achieve happiness when you're dealing with a stressful situation. This episode is full of aha moments and game-changing tips to living a happier, more fulfilled life, and I truly, truly believe that it is a must-listen for everyone. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hey guys, it's Jamie Scrimger here, second wife, stepmom of three, and mom of one, and you're listening to my podcast, where we talk about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. If you're ready for raw and real conversations and are striving to live your very best life, then you are in the right place. Every week, I'll provide you with tips and strategies and mindset shifts to inspire you to live your own version of a kick-ass life. We'll bring you along as I create my own. All right. Welcome, Jillian. I am so excited to sit down with you. Hi. How are you? I'm so excited to be here. I know this is amazing. Yeah, I was just um, offline, guys. I was just talking to Jillian about she used to be the instructor at a yoga studio that I used to attend. And I feel like I would go and get this exercise, get my workout in and also have this life coach session. I would leave <laughs> fulfilled, ready to, you know, live a more fulfilled life. So I'm so excited, you know, that however many years that was, that was when I was pre-kids and I could do yoga every single night. <laughs> that was a long, that was a different life. <laughs> right. Isn't it so cool though, how the people that you meet at certain points in life, you reconnect over something completely different later, but it all kind of like comes together. It's neat how, how that happens. I know. And it's actually crazy how the people who you remember, right? Mm -hmm. So I remember you vividly because you, I, I just really enjoyed those classes, right? And there's so many instructors that I've had at different yoga classes throughout my life. And they're not, I don't have that memory. And now here we are having this conversation. So I'm so excited to introduce you to my community. You are a happiness expert and you are I a am. really happy person. Like you're just smiling right now. I can just, you are, you <laughs> truly are. You're just such a vibrant, contagious personality. I want to know all about it. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, yes, I am most of the time happy. And for those of you listening, no, I wasn't always this way. And no, I'm not happy all the time. <laughs> because I think sometimes, um, especially so I'm, I, I research happiness and I've been studying it now for, I think, almost four years. I just finished a PhD at the end of last year where I researched happiness uh, at Western University in London, Ontario. 
And, uh, since I wish I would have started, like, I wish I would have measured my happiness when I started researching happiness and then like measured it today, because every single one of us, no matter where we are, or no matter how we're feeling right now, we all have this capacity to be happier and to feel happier. And there are things that we can do in order to do that. And that's what my research focuses on. But I also have tried all the things in my research. And so, yes, I am happier than I was before. And I know I'm not happy all the time because I, as a happiness doctor, so with a PhD in happiness, I would never tell anybody to be happy all the time because that's not a realistic goal, nor is it in terms of healthy psychological um, functioning, the ultimate goal. So I think that that's kind of good to hear. It takes the pressure off, right? Because like, if you're not feeling happy all the time, then sometimes you can feel guilt or like you're not doing enough or you're doing the wrong things. Or you're not whatever it is, but no, like take a, take a breath and know that the goal isn't happiness all the time. Yeah. And you know, I was just actually talking to my husband, Darren, about this the other day, because we'd been through some rough patches just with things that we had to deal with in our life. And we'd had just like, I felt like there was like one thing after another for a while there. And we were having just such an amazing day. We were walking on the beach and it was just this, this perfect this perfect day. And I said to him, I said, I'm so glad actually that we had that crappy time because I don't know if I would really appreciate the good unless I had that comparison. And I, I sometimes I'm just, I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for the crap that you have to deal with in life because it really does help keep things into perspective. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And even actually, um, there was an interesting research study done with people that became quadra or paraplegics later in life. So they had use of all their limbs and then had some sort of an accident, which um, then they either couldn't use both or all, all four of their limbs or just two of their limbs. And in terms of happiness, researchers actually studied their happiness right after their accident, which not surprisingly, it went down a lot because that's a, like a very life-changing traumatic event. And yet they also followed up with them a year later. And the vast majority of them were either as happy or happier than before their accident because they had a completely different outlook on life. They, they saw things from a different perspective. They were grateful for those quote unquote, like little things that happen every day and for the blessings that they have or what they were still capable of. What, having that perspective shift actually after they kind of dealt with the initial trauma and the shock of everything made them happier because it often is those challenging, those difficult things in life that when we look back that they gave us the opportunity to teach ourselves how resilient we are or to show ourselves how strong we can be and, and to kind of come through the other end, a stronger person. Yeah. And I love that because, you know, I talk to stepmoms a lot because that's primarily my audience and especially, you know, stepmoms who are in high conflict situations or just anyone who's just dealing with a super tough time. And my whole objective is to show people that it is entirely possible to live a great life and to feel happy and fulfilled in your marriage amongst all of the stressors that come with this role. And there are a lot of stressors and it is hard and there's so much that you have to overcome, but it really does come back to mindset in the way that you view your life. And we talk a lot about gratitude in my community. And I know, like, honestly, Jillian, there was a time in my life when people would talk about daily gratitude practices. And I would roll my eyes and think, wow, this is probably the most annoying, corny conversation ever. Then I started to do it myself and really try to change my outlook on my life and really focus on all the things that I have to be grateful for. And man, it works. It really does work. Yeah. You know, it, it's so interesting because I, I was kind of in the same boat as you. Um, when I first learned about gratitude, I thought to myself, 
what? So I spend two or three minutes a day thinking about or writing down things that I'm grateful for. And that's going to be like a life-changing thing. Like I just couldn't even conceptualize in the realm of how that's in the realm of possibility. And yet, interestingly, I tried it too, because I'm a student of my body. And you know, what I read in terms of the research, I like to try. So I tried it. And what's interesting is that oftentimes, especially when we think about happiness, happiness is a practice. It's something that we have to work at every single day. You don't just one day arrive and be happy and you're good for the rest of your life. So it's this ongoing practice. And what gratitude does is it kind of allows you to find a way to work your quote unquote happiness muscle all the time because gratitude and happiness are highly correlated. So people that tend to be more grateful also tend to be happier. And what's interesting, so I actually just finished a study at Western University with undergraduate students. And so for the study, what they had, my participants were, so I had um, undergrads watch YouTube videos every week for four weeks. And each week I taught them different techniques to boost happiness. So one of the weeks they learned about gratitude. So we talked a little bit about what gratitude is, that it's basically finding things in your life that you're grateful for, things that you're thankful for, things that you're so appreciative to have around you or to have happened to you or to be a part of your life. And they had to do an activity called three great things. So every single day, they had to write down three great things that happened to them that day. And what does that take? Two minutes? Not even, right? And yet, from the beginning of the study to the end of the study, which was only four weeks long, I saw significant changes in their happiness. And not only that, when I asked the research participants at the end, what was your favorite part of the study? By far, out of all the things they learned, gratitude was at the top of the list for the vast majority. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, yeah. And you know, it doesn't have to be this big to do, right? I w- And it doesn't have to be these huge things that you're grateful for, because I know so many people are said, we are in the trenches right now, Jamie. There is so much going on that I don't know what I have to be grateful for. My stepkids are driving me nuts or my husband's ex-wife is whatever, you know, conflicts going on there. My relationship is struggling. But when I write my list in the morning and I try to write five to 10 things that I'm grateful for, I wake up before the house and I have my coffee in peace and I just kind of like do my journaling. It's just become my morning routine. And it's not a big thing. It's, you know, I will say I'm grateful for the fact that no one's speaking to me right now and I'm having this peaceful time by myself. Or I'm grateful that, you know, my daughter was happy last night after school. Like literally the tiniest little things can make all the difference in your day. Cause you're always thinking when you're writing it down, you're always thinking about things to be grateful for because it changes your mindset throughout the entire day. Yeah. And what's interesting is that our brains are actually not wired for positivity or to look for gratitude. We actually have to do work to make that happen. So our brain evolutionary evolutionarily was designed to have us survive. So we need food, we need shelter, and we need to be able to reproduce and pass on our genes. Like that's sort of the goal of, from a physiological perspective in our brain's mind, in our brain's mind, if that's a thing. And uh, what happens is that's how it's wired. So if we want to think differently, we actually have to do work to change our thinking. And so for example, like if someone gave you 10 compliments today, told you 10 wonderful things about you, and one person said a negative thing, at the end of the night, when you're laying in bed and you put your head on the pillow, what's the one thing you're going to think about? The crappy thing they said. Exactly. That's our normal human behavior because that's how our brain is wired. And so we actually have to override that and think, no, no, no. Like, don't think about that. Think about these 10 great things. And so what gratitude does is it gives us this amazing opportunity to start rewiring our brain to see things from a more positive lens, to see 
what is the good in the world as opposed to looking for the bad. And when you start to practice gratitude, what you'll notice, I don't know if you found this, but when I first started practicing gratitude, so I would write down every day three things that I was grateful for. Then I started noticing what I was saying to my friends or to my family or even just in, in everyday life. I started talking about gratitude to be like, wow, I'm so grateful that there's no lineup here today. Or I, you start to see more of it because what you focus on, it tends to expand. And once you start to see things, you see more of that. And so that's kind of the cool piece of gratitude is that it goes from beyond just taking a minute or two to write down what you're grateful for into being sort of an, a hard wiring, changing how you see the world. Yeah. Have you read the book, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy? No. Okay. No. So I'll have to add it to my list. Good. Yeah. I'm going to add it and I'll, and I'll link it below this podcast. So he, it's all about how the little things that you do throughout your day, how they add up and compound into the type of life that you live. And he talks about just the little tiny choices. And he was in one of the chapters, he talks about his relationship with his wife. And in that chapter, he was saying, you know, my relationship was good, but I just felt like it wasn't as good as it could be. So I was working on something. So what he did, and I have to, I read it a while back, so this might not be exactly what he did, but every single day he wrote out something that he loved or appreciated about his wife. So every day, so he was searching for something. And I don't know if he told her every single day or if he gave it to her as a gift later on, but he talked about he did it for an entire year. And he said his relationship drastically improved because instead of looking for the things that his wife was doing that bothered him, he was looking for all of the things that were great about her and he was constantly seeking them out and then constantly feeling more grateful for them. And it just was this compound effect that totally transformed his relationship. So I have a online program that I used to run and I would have people in the program, stepmoms look for a positive thing in their partner every single day and write it down. Because when you're, when you see the positive, you're looking for more positive. It really is this, it's just this cumulative effect. And I also feel like when I'm talking to stepmoms who say they just don't really, like they just don't really like their stepkids, like their stepkids, they're not driving with them or they're struggling with their relationship or even other people in their lives. I tell them, you know, there are, there's good in everyone. There really is. Sometimes when you're in like a really stressful situation, you've got to dig really deep to find it. But looking for that type of stuff, it changes, it changes your relationships. It changes your outlook. It is, it's just, yeah, we, I could go on and on about gratitude. You know, it, it's so true. And what I love about that was even when we were talking about that negativity bias, especially with, with your partner, where you see them day to day, sometimes we can get comfortable. And even if we think great things about them, to actually make an effort to tell someone, that's a huge piece. And so even for myself, often like, like even when I was a yoga teacher, for example, I go and I teach a class and then you leave. And usually the people that loved your class, they leave and they're all zened out and they leave and they loved your class, but you never would hear about it because they were just so happy. Usually you hear about the people that didn't like something or something, whatever it is, that's what you'd hear. And so I think it's a good reminder to go even beyond the pages of writing down what you're grateful for and to, in your life, whether it's your partner, whether it's your stepkids, whether it's your kids, whether it's a friend, family member, whoever, to actually take the time to say out loud or to send a message or to write a note to tell them that, it kind of takes things even a step further. And, and I mean, I, I actually, sometimes I'll set an alarm on my phone and when it comes off, I'll text someone I know something they're grateful for, totally random out of the blue. And the oh amount God. of times I've gotten a message back saying, thank you, oh my gosh, that came, I was having such a bad day. Because we're not used to just sending messages telling people things we like about them, right? And so it's kind of a cool practice if you want to 
make somebody's day. And then also it can uh, help to boost your mood too, by doing that. Oh my gosh. So good. So on top of gratitude, what types of habits do happy people have that not so happy people don't have, if you will? Yeah. Great question. Um, so interestingly, just from, so my PhD is actually in, in health science. So I'm a big health nerd. And so when you compare happy people to unhappy people, happy people tend to live longer. They have lower rates of cardiovascular disease. They have stronger immune systems. They heal faster from injury. They get better quality sleep. They make better nutritional choices. They have longer and more fulfilling marriages. They are rated as more likable. They're better problem solvers. They're more creative. They're more altruistic. Like, and the list goes on and on. So number one, if you're looking at a way to really show up in your life in the best way possible for you and everybody else around you, prioritizing your happiness is essential, I would say. Then, absolutely, like by far um, the most potent thing you can do to improve your overall quality of life, longevity, relationships, everything is prioritizing happiness, which is kind of counterintuitive sometimes because sometimes, especially as caregivers, as people, when you're taking care of children or a parent or whoever, sometimes the tendency is to want to put other people first and to martyr ourselves to help somebody else. And it's important to remember that, especially with happiness, you're no good to other people unless you first take care of yourself. It's like that, that analogy when you're on the airplane, right? You have to put on your oxygen mask before you can help somebody else. The same thing applies to happiness. So if you want to really give your relationships, your friendships, your relationship with yourself, the best shot, happiness and focusing on your happiness and knowing it's not selfish, it's actually one of the most selfless things that you can do is really important to know. So beyond, beyond that, when you start to look at, and this is where like happiness research is really cool because you can start to tease this out. And by the way, as a sidebar, did you know that the first ever scientific publication on happiness came out in 1980, Wow, which isn't really that long ago. So up until 1980, no researcher ever asked who's happy and what are they doing? We only studied what's wrong and what's going wrong and how do we fix it? And then as much as that surprises me, it doesn't. And isn't it? I know. I was shocked. And then based on even just the biomedical model of the world, right? Our healthcare system, all of that, it is very much in line with that. And the positive thing is that if you, if I was to show you a graph of the number of scientific publications from 1980 to current date, it's going up significantly year after year after year. So you're seeing almost an exponential growth in terms of people studying it. So we're starting to recognize that, wow, you know what? Happiness really does matter. And if you're making a list of what to do to prioritize to live the healthiest, happiest, longest, best life ever, putting happiness near the top of that list is, is really um, important. So that all being said, when you look at happy people, as compared to unhappy people, there often are differences. And like you said earlier, a lot of it really comes back to mindset. So what's interesting was that it can also be hard to determine what's genetic versus what's a learned behavior, right? So are some people, I often get asked, are some people born more glasses half empty or glasses half full, right? Like some people will say, you know, I'm more of an Eeyore. And Jillian, you might be happier, but I'm more of an Eeyore. (laughs) <laughs> and so what's interesting is that when we look at um, studies that took genetically identical twins that were separated at birth. So what's cool about this uh, group of people is that they're genetically identical, but they were raised in different environments. So when you start to study those people, you can tease out what's genetic versus what's environmental. And so about 50% of our total capacity for happiness is genetic. Wow. 50%, almost about half. So if you have so, a miserable mom, you got to work really hard to be happy. 
Potentially. So maybe your dad's really friendly and it balances out. And yes, so some people are more predisposed to be happier than others. And that at most accounts for half of your total capacity for happiness. So then about 10% of our happiness is environmental. So that's where we work, where we live, who our friends are, who our parents are, who our partner are, our kids, all of that. This sort of day-to-day life is only about 10%. Are you shocked by that? I am very shocked by that. Yeah, I was, I actually, the first time I read it, I had to like read it three times. I was like, there's no way. What's interesting though, is that we are adaptive creatures as humans. So it's like, if you live next to a train after a while, you don't hear the train going by anymore because you get used to it. And so while we think the day-to-day things in our life may impact us significantly, when you look in terms of the research, we as humans are actually not really that good of judges at how impactful things are on us. And we tend to think there's this thing called like the spotlight effect where we think sort of everything's about us. And and we all have this, just like we have that negativity bias, we have this bias programmed in our brain. And so even though we may think that our day-to-day things are stressing us out and stuff, and absolutely they are, in terms of the effect on our body and on our happiness, it's not nearly as profound as we might think. So the cool part is that, so we have 50% genetics, 10% environment, there's still 40% left. And that 40% is the part that my research focuses on. That's the part that's a skill-based learned behavior. So above what we were born with, above where we live, where we work, each and every one of us have a huge opportunity to significantly impact our happiness. And as happy or unhappy as we're feeling right now, we all have the capacity to be happier. And, and a huge chunk of that is within our control. And so that's where, when you think about, okay, well, you know, you can look at life circumstances or all these different things that are causing us to, to maybe not feel as happy, to know that we can actually go in and we can make different decisions and try different things like practicing gratitude, for example, that can significantly impact our overall happiness. Yeah, that is just so, I've always known that I'm always like talking about you don't allow other people's actions to control you. Like you are in charge of your own life and all of those things. And I firmly believe it, but just hearing that stat, that's crazy. That it it just proves it's all true. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really an important thing to keep in mind because especially when we look to, to our life or we start to compare ourselves to other, we look on social media or we compare you know, if you're a stepmom to the real mom of a child and we start to do this comparison and it can impact our happiness to know that above all of that, if we go in and look inside and do the work, we can actually have a really big impact on our happiness. And then when we do that, then the effects of that are so far reaching in our life from our relationships to the food that we eat, to the choices that we make, to the way that we talk, to the way that we think, all of that uh, can be impacted in a positive way when we start to build, like, I think I call it sometimes like our happiness muscle, because just like you go to the gym and you have to work out all the time to get stronger. The same thing goes for happiness. When you start to practice being happy, looking for happy things, thinking about the things you're grateful for over time, you strengthen that muscle as well. And then it starts to become almost automatic that you tend to be happier and see the world through a happier lens and realize that, yeah, there are a lot of bad things that happen in our world. And there's a lot of things that we don't have control over. And there are a lot of things that we do. And when we focus on that and we focus and we prioritize doing things that make us feel good and make us happy, it can really affect our our quality of life and how we show up every day. Wow. I'm literally mind blown right now. That is just, so do you think that it does the first step there 
if you feel like you are in the trenches or you feel like you are dwelling on the negative and just kind of are ready to switch your mindset, would you say the first step in doing that is gratitude? I would say um, the first step, gratitude is a huge piece. And before you can even get to that, awareness, right? Oftentimes in my, in my research, I'll say to someone, what makes you happy? And on the other end, the person will sit there and they'll have to think about it or they'll start racking your mind. And even right now, like if you think about it, like what makes me happy or what makes you happy? We often don't actually take the time to pay attention to what makes us happy. And it's actually harder than you would think to come up with a list of things that make us happy because we don't tend to think about it as much. And the other piece of it is like, for example, we were never taught how to be happy formally, right? Like even in school, you learn math, you learn science, you learn geography and history, but no one ever actually teaches us how to be happy. Or even when you say like, have a happy holiday or have a happy birthday, what does that even mean? How do you do that? It doesn't just happen. So we're not really equipped with the tools to be happy. And so we actually have to learn and try different things and figure out for each and every one of us, what are the things that make me happy? So the first step is answering that question for yourself, starting to think about what are the things that make me happy? Because once you know what they are, then you can start to incorporate more of that or do things more often. And things that don't make you as happy, you can start to do less of them. And that, and then, so in that, that's where gratitude would fit in because gratitude is probably for most people, something that makes them happier. And so you can start to practice that to, to build that happiness muscle. Wow. Yeah. And that's true. You know, Darren and I were just talking last night, actually, because we were just kind of planning. We love to plan our life. We always just, that's just our thing. I, I, was I just love to plan what my next five years is going to look like. And I was saying to him, I'm really starting to realize that in my life, I love quiet and I love peace and I love those mornings when we can have coffee together and just that space in my calendar. And I don't think until recently I realized how happy even those simple moments in my life make me feel. And we often will get so caught up in, oh, I would feel happy if I had this extravagant vacation or I would feel happy if I, you know, had this great car or Lamborghini. I don't really know. Whatever, whatever it is that people are, are striving for. But it really does come down to those simple things. Like my morning coffee before children start speaking. One of yeah. my favorite times of day. I love that. It, that, that whole, you know, setting my day up for success truly makes me happy. But yeah, we, I would have never thought about that unless I started this whole process of, of seeking more of that. Yeah. And what I'm hearing from you is a consistent theme that I hear quite frequently when I do research, which is that the small things are the big things. Yes. And we tend to think in our mind that the big shiny moments are the moments that are going to bring us happiness, whether it's even your wedding day. Like if you think of your wedding day, right, you plan for it for so long, you think it's going to be this amazing life-changing day. And yes, it's good and wonderful. And you blink and it's over. And right. And, and then you don't have that same lasting happiness. So really those small, like, like not, and they're not small in terms of impact. They're small in terms of like time or, or not as like big and grandiose in our mind, things like having coffee, things like going for a walk with your partner when like to have some quiet from the kids or right. Those little moments, those are the big moments and the cumulative effect of all those little moments is what add up to a life well lived. It's not those one or two outlier moments, those big, big, wonderful moments. They're great. And it really is the day-to-day things and the things that we do every single day that end up being our life. And when we look at those in those small moments, those are what add up to the cumulative overall happiness in our life. Yes. Oh my gosh. So good. So 
say someone's in a really crappy mood. Mm-hmm. So say they're really trying to be happy, but you know, maybe shit just hit the fan today. It's just their life is not good right in this moment. You're not feeling good. What would you suggest they do to bust out of a bad mood? Mm, this is, this is a big one. And, and I say this and I'm talking to myself more than I'm talking to anybody else because I, we all know what it's like to have bad days. And sometimes when you're in it, it's a totally different situation than when you look back, right? And so for myself, I know what works for me is sometimes, so I've started to pay attention to, and to answer that question for myself, what are those things that make me happy? And so if I ask myself, what are the things that make me happy? A couple things that do that for me are one, being in nature. I love being in nature, going for a walk, doing yoga. Uh, Those for me are some of the big things. And so sometimes if I'm in a bad mood or even if I've been working at my computer all day and I'm just kind of like eh, feeling blah, I might not like the last thing I want to do in the world is get up and go for a walk or go to yoga. And I actually have to force myself to do it. So it's not a question of do I want to do this or not? It's that I do it regardless. And that's the willpower piece where sometimes when you're in a bad mood, especially you're really not going to want to do something and you have to choose it anyway. Because sometimes like if you don't feel like it, too bad, do it. Because it's just like you never leave the gym after a workout and regret having the workout. It's just the getting there part. Or whatever it is for you, honestly, it's like suck it up and do those things that for you make you happy because it starts to shift your mood a little bit. And you'll know what those things are for you that are the most potent and they're different for everybody. The other thing is, have you read Man's Search for Meaning? Have you heard of that book? No, but you're so happy I'm going to read anything that you want me to. So, okay. It's a great book. I love it. I highly recommend it. It's by Viktor Frankl. He's he's a medical doctor who lived through the Holocaust. And so the first half of the book is actually him sharing his experience through the Holocaust. He actually lost his pregnant wife in a concentration camp. It's not a book to read before bed. It It used to give me nightmares. And through all of this book, when you get to the end and you you read how the author, Viktor Frankl, thinks and how he's had these tragic, horrible, graphic, traumatic things happen. And at the end of it, his psychological functioning and his thinking and his perspective is so, has really changed my life. And one of the biggest things that came from that book is he talks about, uh, I'm paraphrasing the quote, essentially he says like in between stimulus and response, there's a pause. And in that pause, in that gap between the stimulus and the response, that's where our power is because we may not be able to control what happens to us. We always have control over how we respond to things. And so whether we're having a bad day or something bad has happened or we're in a bad mood for no apparent reason, that's the stimulus. And then we have this pause where we get to choose our response. And we can sit there and we can wallow in our bad mood and we can let it spiral down that path or we can choose to do something to sort of shift the needle. And so that's what I always come back to that, okay, I have an opportunity here to control how I'm gonna respond. And do I wanna keep feeling this way? No, I don't. And so it kind of is that self-tough love in terms of just doing it. And once you start to, to shift, it's like, you know, when you're in a really bad mood and then like everything starts to bother you, but then as soon as you start to kind of shift out of it, then like the sun looks a little bit brighter and traffic yeah. lights up a little bit or whatever it is. It's really that figuring out for ourselves, what are those things that we can do that are going to shift our mood and then doing them even when we don't feel like it. Kind of like yeah. you said, choose it. You have to choose yeah. it. You yeah, really... you have to choose to live a good life. You have to choose mm-hmm. to be positive. You have to choose to look for the good in people. And it really is 
it sounds so cheesy. And I know there's people in their life who just aren't in that place yet to really grasp it. And that's okay too. You know, we're all on a different journey and we're all kind of at different places in the way that we look at our stressors, but it really does at some point in your life, you will realize it does come back to choice. Yeah. And And that can be a really hard thing to hear. It's still for me as a happiness researcher who studies it and has seen it in the data, some days I find it hard to hear. That's part of being human. And part of being human is having days when we're angry, having days when we're frustrated, having days when we're sad, having days when we're excited and we're joyful and we're content. Knowing that all of these emotions, that's what creates the human experience. And in terms of healthy psychological functioning, The goal isn't to eliminate feelings of anxiety and depression and all of that, or to never feel those things because the only people in the, in this world that do not have the capacity for happiness are dead people and psychopaths. So you're not dead right now and you're not a psychopath. So we all have the rest of the spectrum of human emotions that is part of our life. And I think that knowing that what happens is the question becomes, yes, feel whatever it is that you're feeling. And don't marinate in those emotions because that's when you get into trouble, right? If you feel sad, feel sad, have a cry. That can be a very therapeutic outlet or release of energy or emotion. And then you choose it again. So it's about putting the things in place to allow yourself, yourself to feel whatever it is you're feeling and to know that it's perfectly okay and normal to feel all of these emotions. And what we don't want to do, what we want to avoid is, is really marinating in them for weeks or for months or whatever, because that's, that's when we can kind of get into trouble. Yeah. I often say it's okay to get in a bad mood. It's okay to be angry and resentful. Just don't pack up and stay there. Sometimes oh, it's even give yourself oh. a time limit. Say, I'm going to be real pissed about this for about half an hour. And mm-hmm. then I'm going to choose different. And it's not like all of a sudden the half an hour is up and you're okay, now I'm happy. It's not, it doesn't work like that. At that point, you have to choose and choose and choose until it becomes this habit and it changes your whole perspective. Oh, oh, it's so true. And I mean, things can even get complicated when you have different people in your life, whether it's an ex-wife or a family member or someone where you have these people in your life that you're not, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. And especially when those people, every time you see them, they trigger you or they put you in a bad mood, it comes down to really looking at your life and accepting certain things for how they are, because there are things in our life we can't control. And there are things that we can. So if someone, for example, say you have an ex-wife that just drive the ex-wife of your husband just drives you absolutely nuts. Every time she says something, if you get mad and frustrated, then that's what you're going to do every single time. And is that really the life that you want to live? Whereas if you can just see them for who they are, create some space. And I mean, this is easier said than done. And it's a practice than ongoing practice. And we can still choose to kind of tone down the focusing on those bad and just accept or not just accept people for who they are and not let it irritate us because we only have so much energy in a day. And if we want to show up in the best way possible for our partner, for our kids, for our friends and family, and we choose to, to leak energy to these different places, then really, if, if we think about it, we're taking that energy away from other things. And so even having that cognitive shift and recognizing that People are going to be people and we're not going to agree with everything that people do. And that's okay. All we can do is control our response and we can control how we see things and what we allow ourselves to react to. Oh, yes. Get out of my head, Jillian. It's like everything (laughs) I just, I could talk to you forever. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You are, you know what, you are a joy and I, I, 
I literally could talk to you all day. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to link all things Jillian um, below. Can you uh, send me the link to that book too? Yes, I will. Yes. I'm going to link that and link everything to do with you. And so thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. You know, I, I love the work that you're doing and it, I think actually, so one last thing just before we go that I think um, you and your community would really um, find interesting. So an 80 year longitudinal study from Harvard found that the number one predictor of long-term health and happiness was social connection. So having conversations, connecting with people, whether it be online or in person, but really making an effort to do that. And listening to podcasts and having these conversations is a great way for like-minded people to connect. So I celebrate you for, for what you're doing and what you're building and your community, because by having that connection to those people, you're impacting your life and your life. If you're listening right now and the life flows around us, and that's really how we start to move the needle. So you're a leader in that. I celebrate you for that. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. You just gave me chills. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will chat with you next week. Okay, guys, if you like this podcast, please do me a little favor. Take a second and subscribe on iTunes and then screenshot this podcast. Give it a share in social media and tell your friends what you think. And hey, don't forget to tag me so that I can thank you for helping me spread the word. Thanks so much. And I will talk to you next week.